0: Full Credit to the Boys is a podcast by Cheek Media Co, which discusses topics including mental health, masculinity, sexuality, healthy relationships, sexual violence, First Nations issues and other vital social and political conversations. Some content may be triggering for some listeners. Dr. Zach Siler is a clinical psychologist, researcher and leading men's mental health expert. He currently holds dual roles as Director of Mental Health Training at Movember and Senior Research Fellow with Origin at the University of Melbourne. Zach has dedicated his academic and professional career towards further understanding men's mental health and masculinity. His ultimate goal is to help reduce the staggering rate of male suicide worldwide. This is full credit to the boys. Before we start this podcast, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'd like to acknowledge their elders past and present. This was and always will be Aboriginal land. All right, we're here. Thank you, Dr. Zach Seidler, for having us in your home today for this interview. Do you want to introduce yourself and your extensive resume? Oh,
1: for sure. I'll just speak for 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so, I I wear a couple of hats or moustaches because I work at Movember, which is the the men's health charity. Um, I'm the director of mental health training there. So lots of people don't know that Movember while raising money through moustaches actually puts the money back into programs to try and help men and their communities um, to improve their mental health. So I I run lots of those programs at Movember, which is a global men's health charity as well. So I work all over the the world and um, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. So I see men, uh, boys and men of all ages, shapes and sizes, um, and have done for a very long time. And I'm sure we'll talk about what that looks like and feels like as well. Um, And then I'm also a research fellow at at, um, the University of Melbourne. Um, Yeah, lots of different things.
0: What drew you to psychology?
1: Mm, The perennial question. So so many things. Firstly, I was like, I'm not going to get the marks to get into law or medicine. And that was kind of... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where else can I go? Um, But mostly I love stories and the best way to be nosy is to be a psychologist um (laughs) uh, i've always been curious about people i think from a really young age because i'm the third of of four siblings and so i was always watching i was like what the hell is going on why are they doing this and other people doing this i had a lot um, of you know i did a lot of drama and music and arts and stuff and so i was surrounded by personalities Um, so that was always really Interesting to me. Um, my grandma also grew up in a very close-knit community right near Sigmund Freud in Austria um, so she handed me his books when I was like 14 and I was like damn <laughs> this, is, this is what a dream um, So, uh, really getting into that and then um, it just expanded and realizing that psychology is everything, you know, and it's everywhere and the ability to um, both be a scientist and an artist in many ways um was really cool but most importantly obviously it's you know I, I think you'll find out soon enough that i have a lot of tony robbins in me to an extent i'm very pro finding people's potential um and so i've always had a really strong um belief in in hopefulness and, and trying to find the silver lining um, and pushing through hard situations um, that I've been through, that my friends have been through and, and helping people navigate those. So I think anyone who's a clinical psychologist will tell you that they were always the person that people would come and share and unload with. Um, to the point where now if I sit on a train or a plane and someone asks me what I do, I say accountant. You don't, <laughs> don't want to. I don't want to deal with it. Um, but there's a, there's a time and a place. But I love I love hearing people's stories. But most importantly, I love helping them find solves. And so that's kind of the way that I am as a clinician. I'm not a, necessarily a shoulder to cry on for extended periods of time. I am all about action empathy. And um, I'm not gonna come down all the way to the bottom of the ladder. I'm gonna stay halfway up and yank you up.
0: I like that. What do you think is the biggest misconception about men's mental health?
1: So the, the biggest one that I'm trying to break down at the moment is that men don't seek help. Um, I think that we're seeing more and more that men do seek help. It's just that they seek help really late, um, that they seek it potentially from the wrong places. Um, and that when they do seek help, it doesn't reach them. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't connect with them. It feels foreign and unaccommodating. It's not something that is actually enriching that makes them feel seen. Um, and that's because the mental health system was really created, uh, bi-patriarchal structures in many ways Freud old mate and, um, and Jung and others uh, were really in, in my eyes my theory is that they were just avoiding their own shit and so they just went let me create this system to deal with hysteria in women for instance um, and rather than look at my own backyard which was a mess like Freud was a coke addict and had plenty of other issues going on um, it was built to try and respond to what was considered a female problem and Only over time when we got to the 80s and 90s did like performance coaches come into play and so That's where men's mental health kind of picked up um, But I think that the system is not built with men in mind. It doesn't consider their needs uh, This emotional communicative frame doesn't work for many of them um and while we are trying to adapt the system it doesn't need to be a one-size-fits-all and i think that that's something that's problematic if i'm allowed to the second is that men don't have emotional capacity it's just absolute bullshit you know the idea that men are born biologically with less emotional capacity which jordan peterson will tell you any <laughs> week, old mate, my best friend make um, your bed
0: change your life
1: <laughs> exactly be a lobster yeah. <laughs> i totally forgot to, forgot to be a lobster this morning <laughs> there's something going on. Um, but there is there is definitely something around this idea that, yes, men and women are different. Biologically, there's stuff going on. But people always ask me, what do you think about sex versus gender? And I'm like, the reason I work in the gendered space is because there is potential for change. I'm not going to biologically or genetically change your makeup. I am going to help you see that the way you've been socialized, the world in which you live in, is not strict and constricting. There are ways that you can do things differently. And so... Um, when you look at young boys, they will tantrum more than young girls, actually, in, in many instances. Their emotional spectrum is massive. They have the ability to emote. We just slowly, over time, restrict them. Um, and so, what we need to find are parents, teachers, doctors, you know, everyone who's interacting with young guys, giving them the ability to actually go, wait a second, I can expect more here. There is more capacity.
0: How does how does masculinity play into this? What is its role in fueling this environment where men either men and boys don't don't seek help until in the late stages or how this influences that spectrum of emotion?
1: Mm. So I use the term masculinities, um, and that's because just to outwork you. Just, <laughs> just
0: Happy to be outworked <laughs> any day of the week.
1: Well, we <laughs> <Kaboom>. <laughs> um, because because masculinities implies that we will perpetuate the stereotype if we use the term masculinity because it implies there's one, go for it, strive for this unassailable standard which is impossible to reach and we're all you know, dying inside trying to be Superman when in fact there are masculinities that look different in different contexts, they're constantly changing, they are contradictory you know, to a T. You will go and have a beer with your mates at the pub and laugh about something and then come home and cry to a Disney movie 10 minutes later myself so um there has to be this understanding that there is diversity here and so when we're talking about masculinity being restrictive for men we talk about traditional masculine norms which is stoicism self-reliance um risk-taking the really traditional ideals um that that some of our um you know the people in the media who are considered role models live up to um those ideas When applied rigidly, and this is where the term toxic masculinity can become problematic and lots of men shy away from that term because it puts a whole lens on a whole population um, that generalizes behavior across contexts, which just can't be the case. So instead we say, that's a toxic masculine behavior. Yeah. So it's like that certain thing that is happening right now is not useful for you or anybody else, change it, rather than you're fucked yeah that's that's blaming and shaming and that's how we end up in the situation where we are at the moment where all of this content that we're creating is consumed by a very small minority of men and lots and lots of women and we need to be speaking to the guys and the best way to do that is to not can you know not condone their behavior but find ways to connect with them in ways that 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 make sense to them so long answer to your question is masculinity um At the core of some of this stuff the evidence is kind of mixed but um, it's pretty clear that the way that men and boys are socialized into this stoic self-reliant ideal is really dangerous for them and it means that when shit hits the fan they do not put up their hand and most importantly what it does is it it increases shame so it builds shame into their ways of working so that when they are in a difficult spot they believe that reaching out to someone else, they will be stripped of cards one way or another. And, and that's pretty, pretty common now. So what we do is, you know, in November we try to just leverage masculinity to our advantage. And that's why when people go, let's blow up the whole thing. I'm like, I agree in a couple of generations' time, but it's here. It exists. We can't really deny it. So instead, let's use it. And so we say, what's the most brave and courageous thing you can do? Seek help. You know, let's let's be better men, you know, and and that's how you galvanize men towards violence prevention, for instance. Um, altruism is like the a really core cool masculine trait that no one is talking about. Why are they not role models across, you know, all of the papers who are doing good shit? There's a reason that everyone's going on Instagram looking for dads hugging their kids and doing cute stuff because we want that, but we just keep getting fucking Harvey Weinstein, and Andrew Tate, Andrew Tate. With,
0: um, uh, when I was listening to your podcast um, episode with Hunter Johnson on real stuff. And one of the things that I was like, just like, it was so nice to hear men talking about um, was values alignment in friendship circles. And you're talking specifically about bucks parties Mm. and group chats. And I think one of the things that, I think it's probably the hardest thing for young men is calling it out within their own friendship circles. How do you navigate that? What advice do you give to anyone you're speaking to? Does this come up in therapy with young men? Is there issues with their pressure with their friends? I assume it's a big one. But... Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. The issue is, is that um, peer pressure is the core of men's behaviors. So when we do this thing, Uh, Where we're we're doing research with young men and we go What do you think about the idea that a gay man is not a real man? For instance if we're using a traditional um, Stereotype the vast majority of men will be like no, that's not true But then you say what do you think society thinks and you get this gap and we call it the perception gap of masculinity Where you go men should be the breadwinner the vast majority of guys are saying no, that's not the case But then you say what does society think and you get a 15 20% gap between their own views and society's views So what's happening is that all of these guys are carrying these values that are hopefully pretty progressive and and equitable and then they're going into the locker room they're going into school and none of them are talking about it and someone says something and everyone's too shy to say anything and then they're like oh let's just go with this misogynistic joke instead because that sounds easier so progress requires bravery um And I have been, and I said this with Hunter, and both of us have experienced this and described it to each other, I've been ostracized from plenty of group, and that is a privilege that I have, Um, because my my convictions, you know, I, I know I've studied this stuff, I know how to stand up for these ideals, it's an education piece, I think, in many ways as well. And so, I understand why plenty of young guys don't do that, because loneliness is the an equal epidemic that is going on right now for young guys so to end up with no friends is the worst possible outcome for them and all we do at my is promote social connection so we're not going to go yeah just blow up your friendship groups but are there ways of finding allies and i think that that's the thing it's like if you can it's it's very difficult to do it in whatsapp groups with like 20 guys um you know the bucks party situation i've made clear now in media all over the place and my mates won't even try it with me which is useful so everyone get on a podcast and complain (laughs) (laughs) but i go on i go on um when i'm talking to to young guys about how to push the envelope here it's like do one-on-ones don't go and throw something into a group of 20 guys when they're sharing disgusting porn that has you know no place at 11 a.m on a thursday i just don't get that um, because I just, I used to just get cut out of the group. they just, I'd be like, Oh, that's wow. I, I, <laughs> on, I I've known you for 25 years. <laughs> um, so, and I was like, yeah, I don't, that's just not where I need to be, but it's, it's really, really risky and very difficult. So I think finding the one person, and even if you're not going to change the behavior of that group, at least you've got a, a voice, someone to share in those ideas of like, and it's really cool because I think it's risky. And that's the way that I really enjoyed. it. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the risky one. I'm going to push the envelope here. And rather than back in the day, I think, you know, that type of sexism was risky. It's like now actually being a feminist is pretty risky as a, as a man. So maybe like, let's use that as fuel. It's pretty exciting. It's like. Push them, see what they, see what they give you and stand up for yourself. You know, that's where healthy competition comes in. Who can be the best fucking feminist? That's what I'm about. That's
0: nice. And also no men seem to be competing for this title. <laughs> I don't know I'm why in. not. Anyone, challenge me. It's, it is kind of like the guys in drama at school that were like, why wouldn't you want to be here? All the women here. You said
1: that before. It's like, I don't get it. And I get, I'll go anywhere and tell any young guy. And I'm very lucky that I get to work clinically with lots of young dudes. I'm like, they're like, oh, this is how I feel. I'm like, tell everyone. Like, <laughs> you will especially if they're heterosexual and they're, they're looking to date i was like have you been on hinge have you seen that everyone is saying i'm looking for a man going to therapy tell them you go to therapy <laughs> yeah. uh, you can tell them who i am i don't care Go
0: <laughs> for it when um as a clinician do you have concerns not concerns but what do you think about the fact that you're probably one of the youngest most normal guys that is a psychologist for men yeah, no, how, how, does, how does it work? Like, I mean, you probably wish there were a hundred of you mm-hmm. to be meeting with men. I think that my my view at least is that, you know, I worry when men that are my friends go to therapy that they might meet a dinosaur and never go back. Mm. How does that work in terms of, you know, the current landscape of psychology and how men are interacting with that sort of system and with clinicians? For
1: sure. Great question. So there, there are two things there, which is that firstly, they are meeting many dinosaurs and they are having a shit time and they're making it very clear and Uh, Something that we've tried to do as as researchers, me and my lab, have been like, let's go out and ask them. Because we've had 20 years or 30 years of men's mental health research and it's all been assumption based. No one's actually done this qualitative work where they go, hey guys, what happened in therapy? So we put out an ad in 2020, the start of 2020. Lots of people say men won't come and do research. We put out an ad on Facebook saying, hey, have you had a shit time in therapy? Come and tell us. We didn't pay them anything. 2000 guys within a week. And we got Holy the longest, shit. the longest answers. Um, and, and everyone's like, how do you engage men? I'm like, just ask them. That's like, actually
0: something. heartbreaking though.
1: Yeah, I know. Oh, fuck. But it's also like, get them to complain and you'd be very surprised. When <laughs> <now dealing laughs> <and now dealing.
0: laughs> but we got,
1: we got incredible responses that really, uh, led us to understand what was going on and they weren't saying, cause lots of people go, oh, you need to see a male clinician in order to deal with this stuff. 60% of them have no preference. 21% or so had a preference for a, for a woman and 19% had a preference for a man So we really need choice. There's no doubt about that But when it comes down to it a good therapist is a good therapist So what we try to do is educate and upskill the workforce in how to deal with this and that's counselors social workers Everyone and you know mental health nurses in the in the space but when a man comes in and has a shit time the chances of him coming back ever again minimal, And that's where it gets really, really risky. Because we keep saying, and this is how I got into Movember, I kept saying, you keep telling men to seek help, and then you just leave them. Um, And it's such a dangerous mentality to just go, you'll be fine. And no one, and psychologists, myself, are like, we don't do this thing where we go, is this working? Is this useful? What does bad therapy look like? The idea that any therapy is better than none is not true. We can do harm. It exists, and no one talks about it um so yes there are dinosaurs if things don't go and this isn't to add pressure to the individual psychologist it's to add pressure to the system which requires updating um and so we need to make sure that there is more choice i would love there to be more young male psychologists regardless going through the the program um it just doesn't happen because for some reason again men don't gravitate gravitate towards the caring professions um that's pretty dumb i think because they're like oh it's not it's the most financially stable place to be like being a clinician in this day and age the mental health workforce is booming we need more guys so if you're listening and you're looking for a job or a profession yes it took me 10 years of university whatever but after that (laughs) but you're not a lawyer
0: doctor thank god (laughs) exactly
1: things things come come good eventually and there are a lot of people who, who need your help and there is stability in this in this workforce as well
0: do men find um, the most of their emotional intimacy and interactions with their significant partner or, or intimate partner? And what are the impacts of this on their mental health when things go wrong?
1: You've done your research. So, <laughs> um, and this is, this is not only, this comes out in all the quant everywhere, let alone in everyone's, you know, anecdotal evidence. Uh, especially those in, in straight relationships, you are going to hear from women across the board that they are just doing emotional labor. Um, and that's where the mental load terminology, I think, kind of has, has expanded as well. So the one thing that I think is really important is if you are a partner or a mother um, of, a, of a man, the best thing to do is to get them to expand their social horizons. Um, because as men age, they lose friends. Um, to the point where when you get to, to fatherhood, they just it just drops off. We had like over 40% of guys saying to us that they had one or no person to talk to during COVID.
0: Oh, it's fucking devastating. It
1: is. It is. And you start to go, all right, wh- what is this disenfranchisement? What is this feeling of loneliness? Where does the anger come from? Oh, I wonder. Maybe, you know, they are just sitting there in their own subjective frame festering on these ideas and so what happens is that if they're in a romantic relationship which is why men push themselves into romantic relationships as a conquest in many ways um, they put all of that emotional work uh, on their partner and if it doesn't work out relationship breakdowns are the strongest risk factor that's six months after for male suicide whereas for women relationship breakdown and and you know being single and not married is actually not risk factor for for mental health issues so the distress you know it's actually those women who are not in unhealthy relationships fare better obviously whereas marriage is not the best thing for many women Um, so we need to find ways for men to actually be sharing the load amongst colleagues amongst friends amongst other family members Um, and that is it's being perpetuated in many ways by women as well because you know being needed is is a lovely thing but being very aware of that and going, oh, this is going to end badly if he doesn't have any other scaffolding around here. Um, So promoting that, it's also very difficult because the amount of women that I have calling me who are like, how can I, where where should he go? What should I do? I'm like, there are meetups here, there's this here. And it's like, how do you teach people to make friends as adults? That's a whole other ballgame.
0: It's concerning how difficult it can be Mm -hmm. for people to expand their social circle. Um... This is a bit of a controversial one, probably, but when we think about the, if we think about women who may have mistrust for men because of unhealthy relationships or the mental load that they've been carrying and they struggle to engage or, you know, the I hate men vibe, Mm -hmm. right? How do we have this conversation when some people are so polarized by this idea of bringing compassion to the table or empathy when it comes to things like masculinities and, the toxicity of, of unhealthy relationships and men's mental health struggles. Like, how do we have that conversation and, and bring feminism to the table to open up that conversation and bring men in when a lot of women understandably wouldn't want to?
1: Very, very fair. I think that first it takes understanding where that anger comes from and, and that it's okay and that it exists for a reason. But um, it's, it's kind of this broad brushstroke idea. The best way to break it down is to find... I like to think that anyone who is listening will have a man in their life that they respect. I really hope that that is the case um, and that they love and that um, understands them. And so using that as a jumping off point um, to go, all right, it might, it's just a crack in that, in that anger, I think. Um, but the major thing, which is, you know... Clementine Forward, all of, all of these, these um, activists kind of speak to it, which is that we are nothing if we do not get men on board here. Um, no one can do it alone. And so that's why I've been pushing when I work with um, violence prevention organisations. It's like the only reason they call me, they're like, how do we actually get men to care? And I'm like, well, you need to stop positioning this as a women's health issue. It's like, violence prevention is not a women's issue, fundamentally, it should not be even tabled that way. The funding shouldn't come through women's health, it just shouldn't act like that, because we're just perpetuating this idea that it is the victim who needs to deal with everything. And so, instead, what I do is I go, and and that's how you actually bring men in, is go, this is is on your shoulders, you're gonna fix it? Let's go. We love fixing problems, so it's like, let's make this, let's galvanize the community, and that's the way that we're going to get those women on board, action Um, because the amount of rallies I've gone to where there are five dudes there it's like what is happening here I just don't understand and that's where the marketing of these movements needs to be better Um, that's probably why we're here in the grand scheme of things to try to find ways to connect with with young guys older guys and and lots of people say to me oh should we only be targeting the new generation and it's like you can't give up that just doesn't work for me. And the amount of change that I've seen in sixty-seven-year-old men, um, especially when they have grandkids, we don't want to go down the Scoma. <laughs> Jimmy told me situation. <laughs> but if you don't want it in the prime minister, but if you if you're having that in your average community member who shakes up their worldview when they have a young granddaughter who goes through something, um, use that moment. You can be you can be angry that that is the thing that changes their view. Sure. But use it to your advantage this is where pragmatism needs to win out because we're just not going to get anywhere unless we find a way to um i think just move the pendulum a little bit and that requires broadening our understanding of what we're willing to okay and approve and it's like we're never going to be okay with hate speech we're never going to be okay with um you know dealing with this type of misogynistic behavior but is there a way and this is what i do when i'm working with young guys if they say something that's not pc in my first one or two sessions with them i will not call them out on it and this is really very difficult for lots of people it's difficult for me i I have to swallow my words because i will lose them and this is the hardest thing because if we lose them they're then of no use to us but you always want to jump in you want to fix you want to police but if we can get to the third or fourth session where they trust you, where they respect you, and then you go, hey mate, that joke doesn't really work. Why don't we talk about the impact that might have? And then they go, Oh yeah, I guess so. Whereas at the start they do it and I've done it plenty of times where I'm like, don't fucking say that. And they're vanished. They don't come back for the next session. And I've I've lost there. No one benefits. You know, oh great, I'm on, I'm in my ivory tower, getting to talk down to them. It's not not useful. So I think wait for your time wait till you have a respectful, meaningful relationship. And this is very difficult for lots of women, understandably, because you don't want to put up with any of this shit any time. Um, it's also very different because at that time where that relationship might exist, they still might not respond respectfully, which is when you know you just say, I'm done with this. But um, it, takes, it takes men, it takes male therapists, it takes male teachers um, to do better at pushing this message.
0: I think where i watched your talk um at the ethics center and you were talking about a particular young man who come to see you and i think he at one point he you know told you that he would tried to commit suicide the night before it was really it was a really good talk and it was really confronting and i was thinking about that and like not only are you talking about you know political correctness and coming to the table and being open in those spaces but the incredible tax that it must take when young men are in a such an unwell state that they're only coming in this Incredibly, like vulnerable, mm. suicidal moment where it is the end of the line. Mm. How do how do you deal with the fact that a lot of the men you're seeing are at this point? How does what is the tax on you? Mm. And when would you like to see men start going to therapy?
1: Mm, for sure, um, it's deeply saddening uh, to to witness it. Um, there's so much pain, you know, that you see. And the thing that we know is that. The vast majority of guys will hold, will bottle up, you know, whether it's child sexual abuse, which happens, it's rife in our community amongst amongst young guys, will hold on to this stuff for 10, 20 years. I've seen so many clients who are coming who are telling me things that they've never told anyone in decades. And it's just like this opening of the floodgates. And um, so I think that, you know... i I really i'm very lucky that i've seen enough of it now that i don't get shit scared when it happens but i know and i spoke with a group of psychologists yesterday for for supervision that they are they're worried because it's so complex and it's not it's not just the one thing that you come in with it's this and my family and this and this and this um so um it is a lot but the way that i always you know turn on its head is like it's such a privilege to get to hear this stuff um to have the honor of being able to sit there and actually try to support them through this process. Um, it's better that I get that opportunity than that. No one does. So I try and use that to my advantage because people always go, that's so depressing. And I go, well, not, not really. It's like, it's not my life. You know, I get an hour to try and support them through it. That's a pretty big privilege. Um, what time do we want them to come? Um, I have often have clients, um, who tell me I had one yesterday? Who goes? I don't need to see you this week. Everything's sweet, and I go fuck no. This is the only time I want to see you. I don't want to hear that you're suicidal. That's not. That's not what therapy is for.
0: I would prefer to just have a nice chat exactly. sometimes too.
1: It's, not even, it's like I can, I can I can do so much more when you're well than I can when you can't get out of bed. Like that's when therapy works. Yeah. When you have the resor- reserves, and so what I tell all of our, our operations team at November who are manning the phones throughout the whole month um, and they get burnt out obviously um, I tell them in advance of, of November I'm like tell the person next to you what works when you feel shit and don't tell them when you're in the dumps you need to tell them in advance it's like setting up for catastrophe in many ways and it's like it's the same thing with like death anxiety no one wants to talk about death but it's like, if we don't have a will, if we don't have a, an understanding of how this stuff goes, then that's how everything you know, overwhelms us in, in many ways. So recovery begins when you're well. And so really starting the process and taking away that expectation or that stereotype that therapy is only there for people who are sick or crazy. It's just not the case. Um, I see plenty of people who are just going through life transitions, who just want to understand themselves better. And what I always say to young guys, like, you go to gym, you want a personal trainer, you want to get stronger. This is all that this is. Let's find a way to utilize this to your advantage. You want to be better. You want to be stronger. You want to have an understanding of who you are. You want to get a better job. You want to learn how to date and not be a prick. Let's go.
0: <laughs> that was going to be my next question because I was, you know, I've literally gone back in the last six months to therapy and even talking to some of my friends about it. As much as everyone's like, it's normalized now, especially among women. Mm you do feel that it's not quite normalised. Mm. It's kind of one of those things that everyone loves to see, a joke in a tweet about how normal it is. But making the booking is really hard. Mm. Um, I think that, well, I guess my next question would be, how should should men be talking to each other about going to therapy and how should men talk to each other about their feelings and when should it start? <laughs> be, sorry, yeah. that was a, quite a few. <laughs> um,
1: I'll talk about the this, this system first, which is that um, I look forward to a time where... Where men are talking about therapists that they see in the same way they talk about physios. Saw this guy, my knee was fucked. He fixed it. It's awesome. You should go see him.
0: People are obsessed with physios. They're obsessed,
1: absolutely. <laughs> well they get a massage. I mean, <laughs> like therapy can be hard work. There's no doubt about it. But I like to think that most people come out and they're, they're you know, they're feeling a bit better or something has unlocked after. Um, but. The, the time to start to have those conversations and the way to do it, you do not need to speak like you hear women speaking. It's not a necessity for everyone to talk the same way. It's just like mental health difficulties look really different in many men. Anger, irritability, frustration, men behaving badly is often a cry for help. So how can we deal with this stuff much earlier? In the same way, we need to make sure that the way that they're communicating, and I've so- spoken to lots of women on, on podcasts about when they're working when they're, you know, talking to their partners, it's like, why won't you be more vulnerable with me? And he's like, it it just was. And it's like, what's the threshold here? What do you think is this idea of vulnerability? And it's like, just because you cried for half an hour, he gave you two minutes of blunt, straight, frank truth, and you just glossed over it. Where is vulnerability there? What is meaningful to him? Do not apply your own lens to this, because if you do, you will miss that moment for connection.
0: That's a fucking mic drop. What you just did was definitely a (laughs) real. I've never thought about it that way. And that actually is another question. Like, obviously, if you could expand, like, what as women, and not that I think we should be necessarily taking on even more responsibility to um, pry open these conversations and take on that mental load, but there is so much to be said for us forcing vulnerability and emotional intimacy in the same way that it looks to us. It's kind of like this idea of... um, you should give love in their love language, not yours, right? So what else are we missing in that conversation if you have anything further?
1: For sure. Just think about, like, go home and think about the ways that you've seen men interact. And it might be something that you make jokes about. Um, But there's a reason that we banter amongst each other, for instance. It's like that is a mode of connection. And often there's always a nugget in the banter. There's always something. There's something that me and my friends do a lot of, which is, if we're having some banter, someone will always say something, a joke about penis size. And it's like, I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, we all know, we're all laughing, but we know exactly yes. what's going on here. So it's like, how can we find those moments um, to connect? And, and really, this is where you don't need to make it trickery. Ask him. It's like, when, when was the last time you thought you were, you were really open and honest with me about something that was going on? And be like, oh shit, that, I didn't clock that at all. And so... Providing the spaces and the places that make sense to him and do not force it That's something that we do too much of it's like no no no, We're having the conversation now and he goes well. I'm not here. I'm not here for it This is not the time that I and we cannot put our own Lens on this and go it has to work like this Because you'll just miss the opportunity and so you know so many mums say that it's always when they're driving their kids to sport And they're looking in the rearview mirror. They ask something there's no eye contact and then it just comes out. So learn all of those little tells about when the time is right. And don't push it when it's not. But just let him know that you are there and then step back. Because then he will come to you when when he knows that the time is right. Um, but yeah, don't believe that it needs to look a certain way. And each guy is going to have it in, in very different ways as well.
0: Final question. Mm-hmm we believe we can save older guys too. thumbs up when it comes to young boys Mm. what does proactive um, men's mental health education Mm. consent education look like
1: Mm. flexibility flexibility is everything for me Um, we talk about positive or healthy masculinity i am just pro flexible masculinity it is that you know what situation you're in And what is required of you in that instance to be respectful, dignified, caring, equitable, whatever it may be. You can have stoicism. You can have self-reliance. They're fucking useful in the right settings. You cannot apply them in every setting. That is where you get the rape culture that we have at the moment. That is where you get shame-induced mental health issues. So the way forward for educating our young guys is to tell them that they can be many different men. And something that we are missing completely is this understanding of what men can be. There's a reason that men are slipping through the cracks in education, in employment, in health outcomes. They are not doing well across the board because everyone is telling them what not to do. So let's start creating a model, a framework that is not 12 Rules for Life, that is not Joe (laughs) Rogan, that is not Andrew Tate, but rather is equally as accessible and equally as exciting for young guys, but just goes here's what we're seeking. It's open-ended. It's a bit more grey than what you were expecting, but it looks good and you're going to actually have a much better existence. It's going to be a lot easier for you moving forward.
0: Well, Dr. Seidler, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Full credit to The Boys is a limited series podcast by Cheek Media Co. Follow us on Instagram at cheekmedia.co or visit our website, cheekmedia.com.au.